0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see each and every one of you. Thank God for another beautiful day to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness and in the spirit of truth. I'm going to take my text from 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, just two verses. I'll read them to you. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 19 and 20. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. If all we have to live for, is what Paul is saying, is life in this world, then we're of all men miserable. Look at it. What have you seen? What has this world produced? Nothing but a lot of heartache and a lot of misery. And if that's all we have to look forward to, we're like all men, miserable. Miserable. Verse 20, but now is Christ risen from the dead. Thank God. That changes the whole picture. That's why Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of Jesus. You see, there's an inner man and there's an outer man, and they both need to be fed, one by food and won by the words of God. So thank God when God created us, he created us to not only live in a life here, but he created us, our spirit to go back to God the moment we leave this world. So we've got someplace wonderful to go, and you don't want to miss it. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. Jesus was the first of the crop of those who died and went into glory. Easter is the morning of all mornings. Christ has raised from the dead an event that has changed the destiny of billions of people throughout the world. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift, Paul said, and we have every reason to be happy and rejoice, but unfortunately, we are living in a world blinded by Satan and disfigured by sin and on the verge of collapse. Amid all the crashed hopes and dreams and pathetic breakdowns of human nature, the gender euphoria, the trans craze, and the cancel squads, and the total loss of common sense. It's obvious the failure of proud little 21st century man doesn't know how to manage his life. You know nothing, and you know something is very wrong when an entire political party can't tell the difference between a man and a woman, right and wrong, and good and evil. That's what happens when you forget God. You lose balance. You lose your common sense. You lose your way. And all that comes out of your mouth is shame and stupidity. If it weren't for the Lord we would all be in a mell of a hess. You'll catch up. But the one great fact which gives this sin-cursed world solid comfort, hope, and a fighting chance is the fact that 2,000 years ago, God raised Jesus Christ from the grave And now every sinner can be saved and set free from the evil powers of sin, Satan, self, and the world. And that is my prayer. And that is my desire for everyone this morning. That the power of the resurrection will become more obvious in our lives. A power that can subdue vile tempers, foul tongues, Enslaving desires, addictions, fear, pride, jealousy, hatred, and all the innate desires and proclivities to sin. Now understand this, ever since man fell into sin through his own disobedience, God's plan was to bring the heavenly kingdom back into this world along with God's presence in the person of the Holy Spirit. When the the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray, what did Jesus say? He said, pray after this manner. Pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Okay, the first thing to do was glorify God, honor God. But what was the very next thing that he said to pray for? Pray that the kingdom come and thy will be done in earth as it is on heaven. Adam lost the kingdom of God. He lost the presence of God. And from that time until 2,000 years ago, God was trying to get the kingdom back and get the spirit back into every one of our lives. And I want you to see this plan, how it carried out. What did Jesus tell his disciples when they asked him how to pray? Pray like this, that thy kingdom come. Amen. That the kingdom come. What exactly is the culture and the nature of the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? Paul tells us, and several other New Testament writers tell us as well. Ephesians 1, 4 says, listen to this, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, you and I were chosen before we were even born. God desired something wonderful for us. We were created in hopes that when we come to the age of accountability, we would all turn to God. Listen to what he said. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That means we existed in God's mind before we ever manifested here on earth. God was the first one to introduce the idea of a kingdom to represent his heavenly kingdom on earth. When you have a kingdom, you have a king, and he rules through his governor's how he wants the people to live. We understand that. Well, Jesus is the king of kings, and the Holy Spirit is his governor, who through his power and leadership empowers us to live as our king lived, who knew no sin, neither was there any guile found in his mouth. God wanted the church here on earth, to look like the kingdom of heaven. And the only way this could happen, there had to be a governor sent to earth from outside of this fallen world. Thus, the day of Pentecost was a necessity for the coming presence of the Holy Spirit. And as long as the Holy Spirit came and got into our lives and into our hearts, the kingdom came with power, the kingdom of God, the Holy Spirit of God. Those were the two things that were lost when Adam fell. And from that day to this day, God's trying to get them both back and into the lives and hearts of every human being. This is why Jesus Christ did not come to earth until he showed up under the empowered power of the Roman Empire. Pilate was called by Caesar to be the governor of Palestine and made sure everybody thought like Rome, looked like Rome, spoke like Rome, believed like Rome. Pilate. That's why you hear the expression, as in Rome, do as the Romans do. That was Pilate's job. That's why, therefore, God sent the Holy Spirit to teach us to look like, talk like, live like, think like, and act like Jesus. You get the picture? The reason Jesus never came as a prophet or a priest, Because a priest never threatened a king like Herod. A prophet never threatened a king like Herod. If you make Jesus a prophet and a priest, what you do is you reduce him to just the category of a Mohammed or a Buddha or a Swani Prabhupada or a Baaloni. Jesus Christ was the king of kings. When Jesus was born, now listen carefully. When Jesus was born, they said a king is born in Bethlehem. Who got nervous? Who got nervous when they heard a king was born? Herod. You all remember Herod? Jesus called him a fox because that's exactly what he was. And then the three wise men came to town and Herod, because he was a fox and because he was a king and he was intimidated hearing the news that another king was born, he told the wise men, well, well, go, go find him for me and when you find him, send word back to me so I can come and worship him too with a knife. Herod was never afraid of the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin. They were just prophets and priests. But Jesus was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 2,000 years ago, they put Jesus on trial on a Thursday, and the trial started in the wrong courtroom. They took him to a religious courtroom. But Jesus didn't come and die to make men religious. He came and he died to allow men to have a relationship with God. That's why he didn't say anything in the first court. He didn't want nothing to do with religion, with man's religion. So he said nothing. But when they took him to Pilate, a secular court, he started talking. And now it was kingdom versus kingdom. And you know what happened. The first opposer of Christianity was the pagan Roman Empire. And Christianity overcame pagan Rome. And they had fell and Christianity prevailed. Giving you a little history. The sin of Adam, the fall of man, was the declaration of independence from the kingdom of heaven. When Adam decided to disobey God and do what he wanted to do, he broke the law of God. Adam didn't lose a religion. He broke contact with God because God didn't come to bring a religion. He came to bring a relationship with God. You know what happens when you ignore or leave the Lord? You know what happens when people turn their back on God? Look around. From the very top governments all the way down to the ghetto, when you turn your back on God, you're going to lose your way. It's not in the ways of man to direct his own steps. You and I, without God, no matter who we are, how strong we are, how rich we are, how smart we are, how whatever we are, no man is capable of getting through this life without God. That's what the resurrection is all about. It's all about you and I getting acquainted with God. Because Jesus called us sheep. You know why? Because sheep are dumb. They don't even look up, they just keep eating and eating and eating till they fall into a creek or a ditch or whatever. That's why we're called sheep, because we can't get along without a shepherd. And yet there is so much independence going on in this world, it's absolutely sickening. That's why joining a religion will never satisfy you. Joining a church will never satisfy you. Too often, when people ask one another, Are you a Christian? What's the first thing they say? I'm a Catholic. I'm a Protestant. I'm a Presbyterian. I'm a Lutheran. I'm a Baptist. And when people don't understand the difference between being saved and being a church member, that's a sad state of affairs. I was a Presbyterian. Presbyterian didn't save me. A man's religion didn't save me. What makes you and me saved? Salvation makes us a member of the family of God when we're translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, when we have a born-again experience and the Holy Spirit gets back into our hearts where God wanted them from the very beginning. That's what makes you saved. No title, no label. That's why the first time you ask people, "Are you saved?" oh, I'm a Presbyterian, I'm this, I'm that. And when you don't understand the difference between a religious label and a relationship with God, things are in a bad state of affairs. You know what happens when you ignore or leave the Lord out of your life? You become self-determined to figure out your own life. And when you decide to go it alone without God, it's a disaster. Just look. Look what's happening to what used to be a Christian nation. They're killing one another in the streets, they're killing babies by the millions. Ungodly things are we're seeing things on TV we haven't seen for a long time. And when you walk away from God, another spirit another spirit takes the place of God's spirit. Which is bad news. Which is bad news for humanity. So when we disobey God, like Adam did, we throw the Holy Ghost out. And when you throw the Holy Ghost out of your life, and you throw God's influence out of your life, what happens is you invite the devil. You employ the devil to come back into your life. It's suicide. Without God, we have no chance. You ever hear? Now, forget that. And the first thing you do, what's the first thing you do? What's the first thing that Adam family did when they disobeyed God? What's the first thing happens when you throw God out of your life? You do what Cain did. You kill your brother. You either kill your brother, literally, or you kill him with your words. That's what's happening out here. Everywhere. Every institution. There's not a sacred institution in this world or in this country anymore. And the only thing that's sacred is what Jesus said, I'll build my kingdom I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The only thing, the only institution's going to take us through people is the kingdom of God and the spirit of God. In John 8, when the Jews were accusing Jesus of having a devil, Jesus said unto them, ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. Now listen. He was a murderer from the beginning. Who? The devil. And he abode never in the truth. This scripture alone destroys the foolishness of that doctrine that Satan was once an angel in heaven. You might as well get it right. The will of God is done forever and always in heaven. There never was a devil in heaven. There never will be a devil in heaven. There'll never be any sin in heaven. And it all started 60 years ago or so in 1963 when God and prayer and Bible reading and church and state were separated from one another and our courts and our leaders And our politicians, they all started to legalize, authorize, glorify lifestyles that God's word said were an abomination. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that's the thing he's going to reap. And until our leaders, our nation, our homes, our marriages start getting back to God, things aren't going to get better. They're going to get worse. You know what else happens? We're seeing it more now than I've ever seen it personally. You see, you just don't walk away from God and everything goes on normal. When you walk away from God, Satan is loosed. The only thing that binds Satan is this right here. And if America turns their back on God and turns their back on the Word of God and the things of God and the commandments of God, there's only one way to go. And you know what you lose? When you turn your back on God, you lose your identity. You can only know who you are if you know where you came from. You didn't come from the swamp. You didn't crawl out of the swamp and climb up in a tree and then fall out and start speaking a language. This is why so many dress like other people. Wear other people's names. Look like them. Talk like them. Think like them. Act like them. Cut your hair like them. Color it with unnatural colors. Piercing their bodies like this and that. Disfiguring their appearance. Do you think all of that out there that we're seeing today is just a fad, a fashion? There's something at work in America. America. And it's not good. It's not even close to good. And the reason our young people and their mothers and their grandmothers are doing things like that is because they lost their identity. We are suffering from an identity crisis. And it's not all innocent that's going on out there. The first thing that God gave Adam was his image. In Genesis 2 1 and 28, and God said, Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. What is the image? What is the likeness of God? It's holiness. It's love, it's compassion, it's forgiveness, it's kindness. And why do you think everybody out there is starting to look hideous? Because the devil knows that the apex of God's creation is human beings. You and I are the top rung on the ladder. But the devil comes along and just keeps beating us down, disfiguring us, making our appearances worse and worse and worse. Why? He's throwing off on God. And our cultures are buying it up. What kind of message is this, preacher? It's an Easter message. It's an Easter message. And it needs to be preached in every pulpit. God's likeness is forgiveness and compassion. So I want to ask you a question Who stole your identity? I'm not saying all those things are sin. That's up to God to decide. But it's the wrong direction. Who stole your identity? Whose identity are you wearing? Whose language are you pattering your life after? Whose thoughts are you thinking? Whose actions are you imitating? Whose entertainments are you enjoying? Whose dirty songs are you listening to or singing? Whose pornography are you watching? Don't look at me like that's not going on. 40% of religious people are watching pornography, including preachers and priests. I'm not scolding you. i trying to warn you. You see, when I face God, He's going to ask me a question Did you tell Him the truth? It's a big responsibility today. The greatest thing we lost in America was not only our identity, we lost the kingdom of God, and we've got 75% of preachers in America saying it hasn't come yet, and yet that's all Jesus and his disciples preached 2,000 years ago. Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All the disciples, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We've been preaching it for 2,000 years, and 70% of religion in this country is saying, the kingdom is coming, it's coming. No, it's here. Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years ago. And listen to what he said Isaiah 9, 6, for unto you a child is born. That's Jesus. Unto you a son is given. That's Christ. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Listen. And his name shall be called. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. The everlasting father. The prince of peace. And of the increase of his government. And peace and kingdom. There shall be no end. If you can believe it. That's the whole purpose of Easter. To get us back to where God created Adam. Man lost two things in the garden, the kingdom on earth and the coming governor of the Holy Spirit. These are the two main things that Jesus preached. Jesus never preached health, wealth, and prosperity, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. He never preached, you have to do this, you have to do that. He never preached a thousand year millennial reign where the lion is going to lie down with the lamb and a leopard with the baby goat and the cow and the bear shall feed together. The only way they would ever feed together is when the lamb and the kid are in the stomach of the lion. All God was using was the nature of animals. And when you get saved, he reduces the nature of animals. He reduces the nature of us. Like being an old bear or being like a fox or being like a, snot, a snake. It's just the prophecy. And the Bible tells us where it all took place. They'll not hurt nor destroy in my holy mountain. That's the church. Church. These prophecies don't have anything to do with what's going on out there. When Jesus comes back again, his feet are never ever going to touch Mother Earth. He's not going to build the temple. He's not going to restore the temple. He's not going to bring back the old animal sacrifices. When he comes back, those which are in the grave are coming out first and we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up with them. So shall we ever be with the Lord. He never preached an Antichrist is going to come back for seven years and there's going to be havoc all over the earth. John said 2,000 years ago, even now there are many antichrists. He never preached the purgatory where the only way you could get your loved ones out of misery and suffering, you had to light candles or give money to fill the coffers of the papacy. Jesus is never going to come back And he never preached he was going to be riding a white horse and wielding a a, a sword and leading us into battle called the Armageddon. Armageddon today is a spiritual battle. Right against wrong, light against darkness, good against evil. You see it every day out there. We're in the battle of our lives. Wherever Jesus went, He preached two messages. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and the Holy Spirit. Repent the kingdom of God and the Holy Spirit. We can be a Christian and not be in the kingdom of God because Christians also claim to be religious. You can go through rituals, religious ceremonies. You can partake of Christian ordinances. You can burn incense light candles, wear clerical robes, burn incense, wear crosses. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. But Jesus said, except a man be born of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. There they are again you got to have the spirit to get into the kingdom of God. If you don't have the spirit, you'll never get into the relationship with God. Let me hurry. We get the idea that God loves us so much that we, that he would not punish us. That's a lie. You ever hear people say, oh, God's too loving to send anybody to hell. That's a lie. God hates sin. And because God hated sin so much and loved us so much, God killed Himself. No human could ever redeem us, deity had to step up to the plate. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. And all we hear today from all the communities well, God is love. You Christians are so narrow minded, you need to be more loving. You need to have more room for those who want to choose their own lifestyles, their own genders. After all, God is love. Love everybody. Love love everybody. Go ahead and put your approval upon all the lifestyles. Go ahead and and let all the drag queens come into our libraries and our kindergarten and our schools and start perver- per- uh, performing their ungodliness. And the mothers are there too, giggling. How do you think we got here? We turned our back on God. But God died to stop sin. He died to keep you and I from walking into hell. Now, who is narrow? Don't you ever try to bring Jesus down to your level of life the greatest thing any sinner can do for God is not declare his dependence, but declare utter dependence upon God. And until America declares utter dependence upon God and our leaders all the way down start saying, God, we need you, it's not going to get any better. When did the Holy Spirit come into the world? Genesis 2, 7, right? The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Almost 6,000 years ago that happened. But what happened? Man fell in the garden, lost the Holy Spirit, but throughout the whole Old Testament, listen carefully now, from t- time to time, the Holy Spirit did show up. Through the Old Testament, different times, the Holy Spirit did show up. But he never dwelled in the hearts of man. Judges 3.10, the Spirit of the Lord came up. Uh, came upon Caleb's brother. Judges 6.34, the Spirit came upon Gideon. Judges 14.6, the Spirit came upon Samson. And a young lion, get that, a young lion, that means the strongest type of lion, roared against him, and Samson took him with his own hands and broke him in half like a kid. Elijah, Elisha, David, the Holy Spirit. David was anointed by Samuel. But in no time did the Holy Spirit come to dwell in their hearts. Because it wasn't time. And because all they had was ceremonial holiness and the temple was not yet cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ who cleanses us from all sin. A holy God is not going to inhabit an unholy temple. The Holy Spirit is not a wind that comes into church and makes people fall down and lose control. Everything the Holy Spirit does is in decency and order. Everything. The Holy Spirit was only in Jesus Christ because he had no sin in him before and after death. That's why Jesus said in John 14, for the spirit of truth dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. Jesus could only be with his disciples, but after they got cleaned up, he said in verse 20, at that day, Pentecost, Ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Jesus was saying to his disciples on that day when the Holy Spirit comes, I'm going to clean you up inside out. I'm going to clean you out, sweep you out, dust you out, cleanse you out, wash you out, scrub you out, blow you out, rebuke you out. And when I'm finished with you, I'm going to come back from the dead and finish the business. Now, listen carefully. The purpose for the resurrection was to prove that Jesus had victory over sin. and had victory over death. That's why Paul said, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, but thanks be unto God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection was not Jesus' final act, Because he came back for 40 days to show his disciples that he really was alive. Otherwise, who would have believed it? The Bible, nowhere says that Jesus is coming back a second time. Nowhere. We all say, oh, the second coming. No, no, it's not. No, not mentioned. You know why? Because it's the wrong second. When he resurrected, he left for three days. And on Sunday morning, he resurrected, and he came back for 40 days. And he showed himself to over 500 people that he was alive. But he had another job. He had to introduce him to the Holy Spirit of God. And then he went back to heaven. But when he comes the third time, it's going to be the final time. Didn't know that, did you? Neither did I till I studied it. Why is this truth so important today that Jesus? Why was this doctrine of the second coming introduced? It's important because Christianity has introduced this idea of a second coming, and that's why many still don't believe that the kingdom of heaven is here. they're still thinking it's out there. But the kingdom of heaven came 2,000 years ago. And it came with power to make men and women holy. And so the devil threw another curve and got everybody looking to the future. Oh, we'll be holy when we get to heaven. We'll get our minds right when we get to heaven. Jesus made the opportunity 2,000 years ago to get your mind right. Get my mind right. And it's that doctrine that keeps the kingdom and holiness still out of men's reach. That's why they fight holiness so much. That's why preachers stand in the pulpit and say, I sin, you sin, we're all sinners. Well, this temple will never ever have the Holy Spirit in it, until it is clean. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. I hope you get the picture. Otherwise, people keep procrastinating. And after the resurrection, Jesus came back to do something else. And what was that? To reestablish, to reestablish the kingdom of heaven on earth through the Holy Ghost. Because the Holy Ghost is what gives you and I, Jesus gone for the second time, but the Holy Ghost is what gives you and I reconnection to God John 7:38, "He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath saith, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. What gives us that sense of relationship with Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit. He's in us. And that's what keeps Jesus and the Godhead alive in our hearts. But this he spake of the Spirit, which they believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus had not yet glorified. John 6:36. It is the Spirit that quickeneth the flesh, profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, they are life. It's the Holy Ghost who gives believers that reconnection to God. His words are spirit and they are life. Jesus is not cleansing us up to keep us empty. Jesus didn't clean us up just to go around empty. He had to clean us up so the Holy Spirit would come in. And the Holy Spirit would teach us how to act like, think like, live like Jesus. Here's what's left for us to do after the resurrection. Let's read it. I'm through John 20, 19 to 23. The disciples are all in the upper room. Everybody was uptight. Jesus appears out of nowhere. He walks right through the wall, and he says, Peace be unto you. If someone walked through the walls of your house and showed up, you'd be glad to hear him say, Peace unto you. And right after he said that, he showed them the scars in his hands and his side, and they started rejoicing. And they all thought, he's back, he's back. No, 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 he's not back. He's got one more thing to do, and that's to introduce you to the Spirit of God. And he's gone, and the Spirit of God will keep you reconnected to him. Wonderful truths. You see, Jesus' ultimate joy was not his death or his resurrection. Jesus said to them again, here's what excites me. John 20, as the Father sent me, even so send I you. And with that, He went right back to Genesis 2-7 and Jesus breathed on them and they received the Holy Ghost. The moment had come 6,000 year wait but the moment finally came. When God created man, he breathed on them and they became a living soul. Here we are 6,000 years up the road and beyond. And Jesus breathed on them. He went right back to Genesis 2, 7. Glory be to God. The Holy Spirit finally found its longed-for home, sweet home, in the purified hearts of human beings. Acts 1-3, after Jesus showed himself alive, being seen of them 40 days, what was he doing? He was speaking to them the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God when he started his ministry and the kingdom of God when he went back the second time to heaven. It's the spirit and the kingdom. The spirit and the kingdom. And Jesus brought him to earth 2,000 years ago. In another place, Jesus, I love this. And in another place after Jesus resurrected with his glorified body, he ate fish with them. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. We're going to eat cod with God in heaven. Hallelujah. I'm through. The congregation keeps getting after me because I keep saying I'm closing, I'm closing, I'm closing, and then I preach for twenty more minutes. So to help them live with that issue and and be a source of therapy, I'm going to let them put on my gravestone. I'm closing. Do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, and we are not our own? That means, and I'm just trying to be plain so you understand, because everybody's doing things out there that are an abomination, are wrong, are sin, are evil, you need to understand how God looks at things you got to look at this world, this culture, everything that's going on from God's perspective. That means you can't sleep around, you can't do drugs, you can't do addictions, alcohol. Shut the porn off. You're contaminating your mind. Don't go back to the honky-tonks, the nightclubs. Don't let filth come out of your mouth. When you're sitting in front of porn, the Holy Spirit is sitting there too. When you're watching porn, the Holy Spirit is watching it too. How dare you? Stop it. Young people, stop it. There's young people in this congregation in every other country that's doing what's wrong. Stop it. Jesus is at the door. He went to the cross for you. He shed his blood for you. He took your place in hell. Stop. Do you know? Do you not know your bodies are members of Christ? What your eyes, your hands, your feet, and your mind do? Jesus is there also. Be not deceived. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he reap. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking but righteousness now and peace now and joy now in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Do you understand? It's too late to get up and just preach a little sermonette on the the resurrection. People need to hear what the resurrection, the death burial of Jesus Christ is all about. It's all about stopping the devil from tearing our lives up, our marriages up, our homes up. Preachers are afraid to even mention the word sin or sinners. Denomination after denomination is already ordaining and allowing people to perform. There's three or four churches in this city that allow all the gay lifestyle to go on. We're getting further and further away from God. So I wanted to make it plain this morning. And your quietness makes me wonder. There was a time when preachers preached the truth. People shouted and ran the aisles. They took their hankies and they raised. Praise God. Thank God for the truth. But today when the truth's preached, silence. Silence. Silence takes over. Silence takes over. But we'll watch a ball game and we'll go crazy. But let somebody tell you the truth about your soul and then we get quiet. And I'm not advocating noise. And I'm not glorifying ignorance. I'm just telling you, it's time. According to gospel, prophecy, and revelation, we're in the Laodicean age, the last church age. There's nothing after this. Jesus is at the door, He can come at any moment. I call my family, I call my sister-in-laws, my brothers, uh, my my nieces, my nephews. I did this a year and a year and a half ago. I said, get your house in order. You're going to wake up one morning and think, oh, it's a great day. Let's do this, let's do that. And Jesus is going to split the clouds. And you're going to be taken away. and you're going to be judged according to whether or not your deeds were good or evil. It's over. This is the grace hour. This is the opportunity for men and women and young people to get saved. It's now. That's why I felt so inspired to go this way. I just didn't want it to be another message a history lesson. I wanted to touch your hearts. I wanted to get to you. Like the two on the road to Emmaus. They were walking with Jesus. He came up. He said, I notice you guys are sad. What's the problem? Well, we thought he was the one that was going to come and set the kingdom up. And he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. And so Jesus went to Isaiah and started talking to him. And then when they got to the house, Jesus don't force or knock anybody's door down. He made like he was going to keep going. And they said, hey, stop and eat lunch with us. And then when Jesus broke the bread and gave thanks, their eyes opened. Jesus disappeared. And they said one to another, And this is what I want to have returned back in our services. They said one to another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us along the way? When I hear these truths, when I hear the gospel preached under anointing, it does something to me. It moves me. It's real church not all the entertainment, not all the fluff and the puff. It's time, preachers, to start preaching the truth and stop hustling people. And there's a lot of that going on in every profession. You're still quiet. I know why you're quiet, because you're listening, right? Amen? Make some noise. Amen? All right. I don't want to think bad thoughts about you, and I don't want you thinking bad thoughts about me. I just want you to hear the truth this morning. Thank God for the truth.